Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to SNC-Lavalin's first quarter 2021 conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Denise Jasmine, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining the call. Our Q1 earnings announcement was released this morning, and we have posted a corresponding slide presentation on the investors section of our website. The recording of today's call and its transcript will also be available on our website within 24 hours. With me today are Ian Edwards, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Jeff Bell, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to ask everyone to limit themselves to one or two questions to ensure that all analysts have an opportunity to participate. You are welcome to return to the queue for any follow-up questions. I would like to draw your attention to slide two. Comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking information. This information, by its nature, is subject to risk and uncertainties, and as such, actual results may differ materially from the views expressed today. For further information on these risks and uncertainties, please consult the company's relevant filings on CEDAR. These documents are also available on our website. Also during the call, we, will, we may refer to certain non-IFRS measures. These measures are defined and reconciled with comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA, which can be found on CEDAR in our website. Management believes that these non-IFRS measures provide additional insight into the company's financial results, and certain investors may use this information to evaluate the company's performance from period to period. And now, I'll pass the call over to Ian Edwards. Ian? Thank you, Denis, and, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, first, turn into slide four. Well, we're off to a good start in the year with a solid performance across all three segments of engineering services. Engineering services generated revenues of $1.5 billion and a segment adjusted EBIT margin of 8.8%. Revenues are essentially on par with uh, Q1 2020, while margins have rebounded to their traditional levels. The backlog also remains robust with $1.7 billion in new bookings in the quarter. On SNCL projects, we continue to make good progress reducing the LSTK backlog, bringing the total outstanding backlog down to $1.6 billion. Overall, it was a really solid quarter. Turning to slide five and the Q1 results for EDPM. EDPM had a strong quarter, generating $81 million in segment adjusted EBIT. Margins increased year over year to 8.6%. The strong performance was due to a combination of factors, which include strong revenue growth in the UK in project management, transport, and defense, successful efforts to right-size the business and reduce costs in the Middle East, and recovery in certain markets impacted by COVID in Q1 2020. The backlog also continued to grow at a really impressive pace, in Q1, EDPM added $1 billion in new wins, an increase of just over 10%. This is in addition to the nearly 9% growth in Q4 2020 and puts the EDPM backlog at a three-year high of just under $3 billion. New wins include rail, road, water projects in the core geographies of UK, Canada, and the US. This includes an engineering services for the US State of Georgia Department of Transport and the long-term renewal of a master services agreement with Intel for project and program management. Looking ahead, the pipeline remains strong at $27 billion and we remain optimistic across our core markets as governments look to invest in infrastructure to support the twin goals of economic recovery 
and carbon net zero targets. Turning to slide six and the nuclear segment, nuclear revenues were broadly in line with last year, with the EBIT in line with expectations, albeit lower year on year due to a lower com contribution from our Canadian refurbishment works. We continue to see good demand for reactor engineering, for field service work, waste management, as well as for our proprietary tools and technologies, including robotics and digital twins. Having completed our work on the first reactor at Darlington, we've now ramped up and are progressing well on the second unit. And we're moving into 2021 with several really significant opportunities and growth catalysts on the horizon. These include continued demand for reactor support and decommissioning, intensified tendering by the US Department of Energy for environmental management work across a number of nuclear sites, and continued momentum in the UK with the Hinkley Power, Power Station and the proposed new nuclear Sizewell C project. Moving to slide seven and infrastructure services, the segment had a solid quarter and a segment adjusted EBIT margin ratio of 5.8%, an increase compared to Q1 2020, resulting from improved profitability and increased activity in O&M and health services. Infrastructure services won a number of new mandates in the quarter, including a first of its kind contract to retrofit a 100-year-old dam in Pennsylvania with three hydroelectric power stations to generate renewable energy. It also won an additional five-year renewal of a logistics and project management program in Canada. At just over $7 billion, backlog remains strong, underscoring both the long-term and essential nature of infrastructure services. Looking ahead, we see a number of opportunities in Canada and the US in rail and transit and social infrastructure. Major projects will be a key focus as we pursue new collaborative liability-capped contracting models like the East-West Rail project in the UK that we were awarded in February. We also see a strong pipeline of opportunities for links on in transportation and offshore wind. Turning to slide eight and the capital segment, the segment continued to be impacted by the lockdown in Ontario, which has resulted in reduced traffic volume on the Highway 407 ETR. As a result, there was no dividend payment in the quarter. Our other concessions continue to perform well. Looking ahead, we see an interesting pipeline of new public-private partnership opportunities where we can leverage our engineering and O&M capabilities. These include several PPPs in Canada and the UK in the sewage and water treatment and hospital space. Moving to slide nine, and infrastructure EPC projects. We continue to make good progress reducing the LSTK construction backlog by over $200 million in the quarter. The LSTK backlog, which is comprised of the three remaining Canadian LRT projects, is $1.5 billion at the end of March. The segment recorded a negative adjusted EBIT for the quarter of $11 million. Turning to slide 10 and the resources segment. We continue to target completion of the sale of our oil and gas business in Q2. Our M&M services business is performing well. We are seeing growth in revenue and profitability, which is really being driven by increased demand for the materials used in clean energy storage, including electric vehicles. Moving to slide 11, as you, can, as you may have seen earlier today, we released our ESG targets and commitments, including a commitment to reaching carbon net zero by 2030. We've developed a detailed plan to achieve this ambitious target, which brings a low carbon lens to everything we do, from our travel policy and electric vehicle leasing to reduced energy consumption within our real estate footprint. To reach our goal, we have set annual targets that will be verified by third parties and published to the Carbon Disclosure Project. Overall, we've identified 12 ESG priority areas, including protecting and enhancing human rights, corporate integrity, and diversity and inclusion. With regard to ED&I specifically, 
we've set clear targets to increase the representation of women at all levels of the company. And as you can tell from our commitments, we see ESG as an integral part of the company's future growth and sustainability. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Jeff. Thank you, Ian, and good afternoon, everyone. Turning to slide 13, total revenues for the quarter amounted to $1.8 billion, which is slightly lower than the corresponding quarter in 2020. SNCL Engineering Services revenue was lower by 1.3% and at the low end of our outlook range for the quarter, as the COVID-19 pandemic did not significantly impact Q1 2020. Segment-adjusted EBIT for the quarter was $143 million, which included a segment-adjusted EBIT of $133 million for SNCL Engineering Services, $19 million for capital, and negative $8 million for SNCL projects. This latter negative EBIT was mainly due to the infrastructure EPC project segment, which had a reduction in gross margin as the first quarter of 2021 included costs in closing out certain projects nearing completion and the impacts of COVID-19 partially offset by a reduction in overhead expenses. Corporate SG&A expenses totaled $16 million in Q1 2021, compared to $37 million in the first quarter of 2020. This quarter included a revision to certain estimates and cost accruals that reduced the expense in the quarter, while Q1 2020 included a $10 million additional provision adjustment for the pyrotite litigation. The adjusted net income from PS and PM in Q1 2021 amounted to $83 million, or $0.48 cents per diluted share, representing a 37% increase compared with Q1 2020. Both periods benefited from a lower-than-normal effective quarterly tax rate. Q1 2021's low tax rate was primarily driven by the reversal of certain provisions for tax liabilities, which had an impact of $0.07 cents per share. Backlog ended the quarter at $13.2 billion, compared to $13.9 billion at the same time last year. The decrease was primarily due to the continued runoff of the SNCL projects backlog related to LSTK projects, which decreased by $824 million. SNCL Engineering Services backlog, on the other hand, increased by 1% during the same period, with an increase 10% year-over-year in EDPM for to $2.9 billion. In nuclear, backlog decreased by 17% over the last 12 months, mainly due to the progress on the company's major long-term refurbishment contracts in Canada. The business continued to be awarded extensions to ongoing contracts in Canada and other long-term contracts in the U.S. and U.K. regions. As for infrastructure services, the backlog remained solid at $7 billion, in line with the end of March 2020, mainly due to strong contract wins over the 12-month period. Turning now to slide 14, our day sales outstanding reached 61 days at the end of the quarter for EDPM, a 12 days improvement as compared to Q1 2020. This improvement is mainly the result of our continued focus on cash collection and early government payment programs related to COVID-19. For full year 2021, the strong operating cash flow attributes of SNCL engineering services are expected to be partially offset by our return to a more normalized DSO level later in the year. At the end of March 2021, the company had $703 million of cash. The recourse debt decreased by $175 million compared with December 2020, as we repaid in full the Series 3 debentures, which reached maturity during the quarter. The company's net recourse debt to EBITDA ratio on the revolver credit facility calculated in accordance with the terms of the company's credit agreement was 1.8 times, well below the required covenant level of 3.75 times. Moving on to slide 15, net cash generated from operating activities was $6 million in Q1 2021, compared to $23 million in the same period last year. SNCL Engineering Services continued to generate strong cash flow from operations with $118 million in the quarter, due to strong EBIT conversion and a low DSO in the EDPM segment, while capital generated $21 million. After cash taxes, interest, and corporate items, you can see that we generated $97 million of operating cash flow in the quarter, which was offset by $124 million cash usage from SNCL projects. 
Note that the cash profile of SNCL projects can be very lumpy during a year, depending on the progress and specific milestones achieved for each project compared to the more consistent quarterly cash flow profile in engineering services. And we don't consider SNCL projects cash flow usage in Q1 representative of the remaining quarters in the year. For 2021, we continue to expect the company's operating cash flow to be largely break-even as a result of a return to a more normal DSO profile in engineering services by the end of the year and a usage of cash in SNCL projects. And finally, turning to slide 16, the company is maintaining its SNCL engineering services revenue growth and segment-adjusted EBIT to revenue ratio outlook. We also continue to target the same long-term EBIT margin percentage for each segment. This concludes my presentation. I'll hand it back to you, Ian. Thanks, Jeff. Turning to slide 18, I'd like to conclude my remarks with a few key takeaways. We're really encouraged by the strong start to the year. We continue to make important progress on our two main priorities, which are to de-risk the business and accelerate growth in engineering services. And we're seeing a strong pipeline of new business opportunities across all our core markets as governments invest in new infrastructure and green initiatives. We're doing our part, both as a company and as a partner to governments, governments and private clients through our Engineering Net Zero offering, which provides a broad range of sustainable solutions in energy, transport and infrastructure. We see this as an integral part to our future growth. We look forward to sharing more about those growth opportunities at our Investor Day in September. Thank you. I'll now open the call to questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Jacob Bout of CIBC. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jacob. A uh, question on your engineering service, um, the, the low single-digit uh, revenue growth guidance. Um, you know, given that revenue was down just 1% in Q1 and would point out, you know, it appears that you've outperformed your, your peers on an organic revenue growth perspective. Um, you know, are you building in a level of conservatism? And, and I guess, secondly, you know, um, how back-end loaded is, is this guidance uh, for the year? Well, I don't think we're building in a, 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 an extra level of conservatism. And I, I mean, clearly, we are being prudent because we, we still see that although we've had a very strong um, book to bill in, uh, in Q4 and Q1, we're still in the pandemic. Um, so we're also seeing very, very, you know, strong indications of kind of future commitment. And we, we really, you know, expect those to kind of hit the revenues probably more in 22 than 21. Um, so we, we didn't, we've looked at it, obviously. I mean, we've, we've thought about this and we've looked at the pipeline and we, we felt keeping the, uh, the, the, the guidance outlook uh, at the same was prudent at this time. But obviously, we'll, we'll keep kind of looking at that as we, we progress through the year. Um, and then I guess my second question here, just about the, the rapid rise in material costs. Maybe is this changing uh, client behavior at all? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think the answer is no. I mean, you know, the activity that we see in our core markets um, and uh, in our uh, kind of core end markets as well as geographies, commitment's still there. And, uh, and I mean, uh, you know, I think, I think the, the supply chain and the flow of materials and demand it could be short term once we get back to normal uh, um, post COVID, but absolutely not. We're not seeing any kind of uh, downturn from that. Okay, that's my two. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Yuri Link of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Uh, good quarter, guys. Um, Ian. 
wondering how how you're feeling uh, with regards to um, you know looking to to pivot more to growth and, and when you think uh, S&C would be ready to do that, uh, especially as it pertains to um, potential uh, potential acquisitions like a lot of your peers are, are involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Eric. I mean, uh, we 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 still are very aware we have two priorities here. I mean, we, we still have the LSTK backlog to work our way through, which we're highly focused to do that successfully. However, we've spent a lot of time in the last few months looking at our strategic plan and, and building on the decisions that we've already made. And, the, you know, the, you've seen the decisions we've made around, you know, our core geographies, around the focus around our end markets, uh, Geographies being US, Canada, and UK, our end markets being transport infrastructure, social infrastructure, and nuclear. And we're really focused on how do we, how do we grow those? You know, what, what are the growth drivers? Where do we put the energy, both organically and inorganically? Um, what, what does our you know, capital allocation look like over a longer period of time? And we're, 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 we're going to share all of that in, in the Investor Day in September. I mean, the exercise is somewhat ongoing still, but we'll be... Uh, We'll be pretty fixed on it and, and give you quite a bit more detail then. Okay. And my second question is for is for Jeff. Um, I guess if I if I had to nitpick on the quarter, um, you know, it looks like much lower than expected SG&A. Uh, certainly didn't hurt the the EBITDA. Um, can you explain in a little more detail what drove that? And then is there anything that that you can do to make that line item a little more uh, predictable uh, going forward? Because it's, uh, you have to admit, it's kind of all over the place, quarter to quarter. Yeah, so I think I think my first observation would be, you know, there, there were a few items in there. Now, to be fair, you know, it's, it's particularly with our investment in digital transformation, which we're holding as a, as a central cost. So we can, you know, we can keep an eye on that and, and deploy it most appropriately. You know that that does give us a run rate per quarter of you know probably in the twenty five million dollar range. Um, so it doesn't take much in one given quarter, you know a few million you know one way or the other, just in terms of timing or in the case of you know the first quarter this year, uh, you know as we looked at some of our or looked further at some of the provisions that we had, there were some you know, true ups to that, which you know in the quarter were a credit. so, um, you know, it would. I wouldn't. It's, it's you know, it's, it's essentially one off. It's not not something we would expect to repeat. Um, you know, as part of that that cleanup. Um, but yes, you're right. It was you know, it was about seven or eight million dollars. You know, therefore lower than what we think the kind of normal run rate would be for this year. Anyways. Yeah, I'll turn it over. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Murray of ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, guys. Just a couple of quick ones here. Um, first of all, just with the close of the oil and gas sale, um, anything that we should be expecting that uh, will change? I know you, you indicated that we'll probably see some one-time gains in Q2 just to clean that all up, um, but any, any other color or update you can provide would be great. Well, certainly on the timing, we're focused on trying to get this done in Q2. Um, Highly motivated buyer, uh, and, uh, and we're highly motivated to get it done. Uh, these things, are, you know, some, somewhat getting consent and approvals, you know, depends on some third parties. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be beyond the bounds of possibility that it slips into Q3, but no red flags. I mean, just on the the, the financials, the mechanics of the deal itself. Jeff, do you want to just uh, talk to that? Yeah, I, w- I would say nothing. Nothing material has has changed at all. Um, we we still expect a significant, uh, you know, non-cash, uh, you know, revaluation of the uh, currency translation account in particular. But um, you know, the the rest of the you know kind of net assets in our view of the business is you know is is largely the same as it was a few months ago. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and then I don't know who wants to take this one, but you know, one of the questions I've been um, getting asked a lot is, you know, as you've been transitioning away from being um, constructors of assets uh, and being more designers of assets, 
you know, is the uh, is the thought process around the capital group. Um, and I know you've got some good assets there that, and we've talked about the 407 in the past just being, you know, a good a good use of capital. Um, but just the question is about, you know, creating additional assets and, and I guess the, the non-407 capital business. Um, you know, how do you think about that fitting into the, into the company on a go-forward basis? Yeah, that's a really good question, Chris. So, and, and hopefully I can, I can help. I mean, certainly we see ourselves as partners of customers to deliver an asset. So that, that means to me designing the asset, it means consulting and advising on, you know, what, what, what assets should look like. Um, it means overseeing the construction of an asset, and it means operating uh, an asset as well. So all of those capabilities, as you know, uh, have historically been very strong in S&C Lavalin, and we're not about to, you know, stop doing those things. Um, we don't do lump sum construction anymore, but we do all the other things to help our customers realize their, their, their kind of aspirations to deliver efficient assets. So interestingly, the, the, the kind of PPP market is, is, is changing a little bit. Uh, what we're seeing are in the middle portion of the construction element, in some countries, the more collaborative contracts even. Um, and, uh, and if we see that, then for sure, you know, we're going to leverage our capital capability um, and invest in assets so that we can obtain the design uh, project management oversight and, and operation uh, work from it. Here in Canada, for example, we're now partnering with construction companies so that we can be the designer and the operator and we can hold part of the concession as an investor and, and obviously leverage again all the capability that we've built over many years at, at actually being pretty good at uh, you know, financially engineering these things and, uh, and, and delivering the, the whole project. So, so the, the, we've thought about that quite a bit since we exit on LSTK, so it's a, it's a good question. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. Thank you. Our next question comes from Benoit Poirier of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much and a good quarter. Uh, just on the nuclear side, there's been a lot of discussion around nuclear energy in the context of the green transition. Could you talk about the pipeline of opportunities in front of you across key geographies? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Benoit, I can. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is that as our strategy on nuclear doesn't see new nuclear as kind of the, the, the focal point of the strategy. I mean, if, if that happens, that, that's, a, that's a plus, and, and I'll, perhaps I'll come back to that. Because where we, where we play, obviously, is in uh, support to can-do reactors around the world. That's a, an important uh, part of the business. Extending the life of reactors, such as Darlington and Bruce, um, but also in decommissioning and, and waste cleanup. And actually, where we see the biggest kind of short-term growth, um, short-term three years, is in actually the waste um, and environmental management, environmental cleanup of, of, uh, of, of, of nuclear waste, particularly in the U.S. Um, the Department of Energy is really, you know, pumping a, a lot of funds into that with some very, very big programs um, to, 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 to clean that up. But we're also seeing that, uh, particular, uh, in the UK, uh, where decommissioning of their aging fleet and waste cleanup at the Sellafield plant in the north of England is, is pretty big also. So the real growth plan that we've got, the biggest driver, I would say, is in actually uh, waste remediation and cleanup. Now, if... And, 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 and I think it's an if, as you said, the question marks out there. If nuclear becomes an acceptable form of clean energy uh, in the global forum, then we will be absolutely there um, to sell our services and potentially even sell the can-do technology. Um, but I, I think that's a, you know, I think that's a little off yet. Okay, okay, perfect. And specifically on LSTK project, could you talk uh, in particular if there's any key elements to, to monitor, especially as you run down the uh, resource backlog? No, I mean, I, I think the jobs, you know, the three jobs we've got, I mean, Eglinton, Trillium, and REM, 
the, the jobs are going well, but they're, they're, they're still being impacted by COVID. I mean, you know, we were assessing that we're going to be out of COVID round about the summer. Um, if you remember in, in the, the updates from previous quarters, we're still optimistic about that. You know, we're, we're hoping that the, the vaccines in Canada will bring us back to, to normality and, uh, and we can get people to the projects and, you know, reduce social distancing and reduce the, the, the kind of number of outbreaks on the projects where we have to isolate part of the project. But certainly what we're seeing so far in Q2, you know, the, obviously the, the, the impact is ongoing. But apart from that, you know, we continue to, to negotiate uh, with our customers to try and resolve, you know, the whole settlement around COVID. No, no real update there. Um, it's going to take some time, you know, no, no red flag, but it just takes, these things take time that, that, to, to kind of pursue. Okay. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Topong of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Maybe just picking up on that last uh, question and answer regarding LSTK mm. and how you had planned for um, resumption of, of activity more closely aligned with what you would have historically seen as it relates to COVID. Um, to, to what extent do you think you will then need to uh, take additional provisions if, if this does get extended? Hmm. Well, obviously, there's a few unknowns um, and, a, and a few things to play out here. I mean, first of all, we kind of got to see what happens this summer in terms of productivity. Um, we we assessed going into the summer, so you know, no 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 issue right now. Um, but we need to see what happens in the summer. I mean, I, I, I would say that from a productivity perspective. And then, you know, there's the uh, there's the recovery or loss from our customers. Um, as you know, we've, we've taken a very prudent view to that recovery. Uh, we're we're absolutely confident we're entitled to recover that loss. Um, we know it takes time. I mean, this is quite complex and. You know the, the proof of, of 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 loss is on ourselves. You know the burden of proof is on us. So we've got to kind of make sure that we, you know, we, we pursue that and, and demonstrate the loss. So we don't expect it to kind of take, you know, a, a weeks. It's more of a month's exercise. But if we start seeing some resolution there, then you know that that could be a positive. So uh, you know, it, it, there's a few moving parts there, but but no concerns right now. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, second question is regarding the backlog in the EDPM segment. Obviously, very strong backlog growth year over year, up ten percent. Um, can you talk about the composition of that backlog, and and has the duration of that backlog extended? Because that's obviously very strong year over year growth. And thinking about the fact that you're guiding to sort of low single digit. Um, Top line growth in EDPM for the year, as well as the other parts of SNCL engineering services. Um, just wondering how we should think about the, the backlog and, and the composition. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, the, so so for sure, uh, we're seeing the UK as a strong market um, with some wins, uh, some good wins, and we're seeing the US as a strong market uh, and, and some good wins in the US. Um, we, we, we. I think if you remember, we we kind of adjusted our view of what we would be able to um, win in the Middle East, going back to Q1 last year. Actually, the Middle East is uh, you know is is doing quite well now also. Um, but I think the majority of what we're, what you see in there is is very strong backlog. At at this time, will be uh, the, the UK and the US, and and this you know the US business is up without the Biden investment, you know, I mean, it's up just year over year uh, in terms of volume in our specific end market. I mean, we're pretty focused on transport infrastructure um, in the U.S. and and we see that as, as being quite strong. So okay. I think that those, I mean, those are the key key areas. Right? right. Okay, perfect. And maybe just to clarify, just uh, to, to your answer there, Ian, uh, the, the work you've been adding, does that stretch over a longer period of time in terms of sort of months of backlog relative to maybe what you've historically seen? Are these, are these larger projects that, that will occur over longer periods of time? 
Not really. I mean, uh, the mix of business, you know, our EDPM business is a, is a pretty even mix between consultancy design and kind of project management. And, and most of those um, backdrop durations, you know, are, are, are less than a year. And we've seen something similar to that. I mean, not, not, not specifically, no. Okay. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Sabahat Khan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. All right, thanks and good afternoon. Um, you made a comment earlier around you were thinking about how to grow in the future, kind of quarters and years in some of your core markets, whether it's the geographies or the end markets you're in. Um, what are your thoughts, I guess, on potentially considering some new end markets, uh, you know, the ones where you may not have a presence through m and is to focus really on kind of focusing on things that you already have a good uh, good presence yeah. in. And, you know, if there's something you think as part of your strategic plan or just longer term. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can give you a flavor of how we think about it rather than perhaps, the, you know, a lot of detail. We'll come to, to more detail in September. I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time simplifying our business and, and de-risking it from, you know, low profitable business lines uh, and loss-making business lines, frankly. And, and that's been a high part of our focus over the last 18 months to two years. Where, where we find ourselves primarily is our three core geographies, UK, Canada, US, highly focused on nuclear social infrastructure, transport infrastructure, and government clients. And we think the decisions we've made to get down to those are the right decisions because that's where we see you know, growth from, a, from the market size, but also growth from S&C Lavalin's market share. I mean, you know, if you, if you take even, uh, if you take the US, our market share is, is quite small and we've got a, you know, we've developed a pretty detailed plan on how we're gonna build our market share there. Um, if, if we even think about Canada, you know, this period that we've been through to not take on LSTK work, you know, it's, it's reduced our other services slightly. So we, we've got runways to, to go back there. So. I think for, you know, for, for, for our focus, I think we've got the right focus. Do we need more capacity through inorganic um, growth? Yes, you know, and, and we're absolutely looking at that. But it's more of what we've already got, I would say, at this time, um, rather than looking at you know, alternative markets and capabilities. Great, thanks. And then just a second question. A lot of your peers have been talking about the outlook for growing demand and the need to ramp up hiring. I just want to understand kind of the efforts you're making on that front and your plans to grow your workforce as demand picks up? Yeah, really good question because in the strategic planning that we're doing, um, the talent plan and the capacity plan is, is very, very important to the, to the growth plan and to, the, to the, uh, the, 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 the strategy of growth. So we think about it in three ways. Um, we, we think about it in terms of growing the talent. Um, what talent do we need? You know, how do we attract more talent? And obviously, you know, we've done a lot of work on the culture, done a lot of work on our purpose, and we've done a lot of work to improve the employee experience within the business. And that, that, that's paid off for us both in not losing employees, but also being able to attract employees. But we also think about it in, in terms of building capacity through the <clears throat> the move to digital tools and, and automated design and increasing our capacity from our digital transformation. So so that's been a, an interesting journey over the last uh, uh, few years as well. And then lastly, we have been quite successful in building a very, very capable um, global technology center out of India which supports our businesses globally from a, a design and a 3D and a modeling perspective. Um, so we think the answer is, you know, not just more people. We think that it's actually, you know, digital tools, offshoring, and doing things uh, more efficient as well as more people. Um, if I could just sneak in one, I guess, this is a follow-up to your comment. I think in your ESG announcement this morning, you indicated that rationalizing buildings and facilities is part of the kind of strategy there. Is that a review you're doing right now that we should expect an update on, or how far along are you there? Of the real estate, is that? 
Yeah, no real estate. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, we started before COVID. I mean, we were moving to a, a more flexible work arrangement and a higher density in our offices um, before COVID. In fact, you, you know, two of our biggest offices in the UK had already transitioned to to that more flexibility, more density. So, you know, like like all companies, I mean, COVID's accelerated um, remote working. And we are going to, you know, continue to increase density in our offices and, and look to work in offices that have got a, a greener footprint um, to, to reduce our running costs and, and the overall, you know, carbon footprint of the business. Thank you. Our next question comes from Devin Dodge of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. All right, thanks. Uh, so just a, you know, a couple of cash flow questions maybe for, for Jeff. Um, you know, first, uh, I believe there was a, a favorable resolution to a claim in the, in the legacy oil and gas division during Q1. I'm just trying to understand, does SNC get to retain that benefit or would that payment get transferred to the buyer as part of, we'll say, you know, working capital adjustments uh, when the transaction closes? Yeah, so that, um, <clears throat> that, uh, that benefit uh, stays with us. Um, as the uh, as, as kind of the owner, the current owner of the business, so um, so it was it was good to see that we we did have a, have a you know that was partially offset by you know some continued true ups in the in the remaining legacy oil and gas business, but um, but yes, you're right, we did have a, a, a positive settlement to that uh, to that project, and um, and that benefit stays stays with us. Okay, okay, good to hear. Okay, and then another one, um, you know, last quarter you talked about. You know, roughly like a hundred and fifty million dollar cash flow headwind from DSOs and and EDPM normalizing and the, and the payment of deferred taxes. Uh, and I think you mentioned, you know, in Q1 we saw DSOs move, uh, you know, even lower uh, from where they were in Q4. Just, you know, how should we think about that cash flow headwind now versus uh, when you guys reported Q4? Yeah. So I. I... I think we would continue to see it largely similar to how we saw it in Q4. You're right. Uh, you know, ended up ended up in a good position at at Q1. You know, I would say even slightly better than our than our than our expectations. And you know, a lot of that continues to be the strong focus on cash flow and cash flow management that we've been you know we've been driving into the business. But we will see. You know, whether it's the VAT. You know, reversal. You know, which is more in the you know in the remaining nine months of the year. Um, you know, and the natural expectation of seeing some of that DSO unwind back into. You know, we, we do think it would it would end up back in the in the low 70s, roughly. Um, you know, therefore we think that headwind is you know is still largely the same as it was at uh, you know that we talked about at the end of the year. Obviously, we'll need to see how you know how how the quarters continuing to go forward and and how governments react. But uh, I think that would be our view currently. Okay, thanks. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Neville of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon, guys. Yeah. Um, nice to see, nice to see all the hard work paying off. Um, Maybe maybe on the, the sale, just a few follow-up questions actually on the the sale of the oil and gas business. Um, I'm, I'm less concerned about the timelines, but I'm just curious: um, is there any significant hurdles or risk or milestone to uh, that we need to be aware of before this before this gets done? No, it's Jeff, it's Jeff here. Maybe I'll um, I'll add a bit of color to that. I, I think our our view on that is is no. You know, as Ian. As Ian was alluding to earlier, and you know, in terms of what we said back in February 9th as well, there are clearly a number of hurdles, you know, regulatory-wise, um, you know, and filing-wise in particular. Not to mention the actual operational uh, work that we do to carve the business out. But I think our view would be all of that remains on track. Um, and while it's a lot of work, we you know we haven't seen any particular you know, red flag or, you know, or issue that, um, you know, that we hadn't anticipated before. So I think it's mostly about, you know, the, the amount of time and, you know, we continue to target, you know, the end of Q2. Um, but as Ian said, it, it, a part of that in terms of those regulatory filings aren't completely within our, within our gift, um, you know, so to the extent that because of COVID or otherwise it takes a little longer, you know, that could slip, but we're, 
we and the buyer are highly focused on trying to do this, um, you know, during the quarter. Okay. Um, in terms of the cash flow, <clears throat> and appreciate the, the lumpiness within projects, but um, is there a period of a period in time where these cease being uses of cash, um, or is it going to be quarter to quarter, you know, um, kind of this lumpiness? Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think it will continue a bit, a bit lumpy here, probably through certainly through 2021. Now, obviously, the the more we reduce the backlog, as more as effectively, you know, the remaining work narrows and you know and gets lower and lower. Then naturally, you know, the in a sense, the lumpiness or the variability quarter by quarter is likely to you know to narrow as well. Um, I think Q1 was was in our view you know, at probably the extreme end of what we would normally see in terms of lumpiness. And, uh, you know, I think going forward, while it may remain lumpy, um, I think we wouldn't consider Q1 to be typical of, of you know, the, the the variability to that extent. I think I think Q1 was a bit unique. Okay. Um, maybe just on the, the, the real estate comments or the question, I appreciate sort of the, the flexible work arrangement, but it just, it just wasn't clear to me um, do you think there's going to be a, an opportunity to shrink your, your footprint in a material way or, or no? Yeah. I mean, we have a plan. I mean, we, we have a, a definitive plan of moving our offices to a higher density. I mean, our, our model office um, for density is, is actually our London office in Victoria. And, you know, it's a, it's a really good office. You know, there's flexible working and you know it's hot desking or or, or save the seat kind of uh, approach and and it works really well the employees love it uh because it's a lot more collaborative it's 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 a lot denser than and therefore it's less expensive than than, than the offices we've got around the world now like i said we've been at this for a couple of years so it, it predates covid and we've been executing on that plan as leases have come up um and as we've looked to, you know, renew leases and as we've looked to kind of replace offices, we, we look to go to this model um, where there's a lot higher density. Um, and, and, and in some extent, you know, uh, COVID has accelerated uh, that. Now, now, you know, it, it, it obviously will have an, uh, some impact on, on, the, on the SG&A, but, it, but it's uh, in that whole scheme of things, you know, it's not, it's not like, Grossly significant. I mean, I wouldn't put it that way, Jeff. Would you? Well, sorry, as I'm muting. No, I I would agree with that. I mean, we we have seen savings. We we'll continue to see savings in 2021, and we would expect to see savings going forward in terms of the, you know, the multi-year plan we have around our office footprint. Um, so it's you know it it's it's a good source of you know future cost savings. But as Ian said, you know it's. It, it's not, uh, you know, it's not earth-shattering in its size. But the, I mean, the, the real benefit is the employee experience. I mean, uh, we've got such positive feedback um, from our employees, and, and uh, you know, we're all going to have to compete for, for talent. So, you know, these things are really important. Great. All right. Thanks for that, and congrats again. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Our next question comes from Maxim Suchev of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi, Maxim. Uh, afternoon. Just a couple of very quick cleanups for me, if I may. Um, I don't know if in the past we discussed this topic, but you know, like obviously the, the peers um, present, um, you know, their uh, revenue on on a gross and, and net basis. And I'm just wondering if at some point you guys thought about sort of harmonizing with that presentation so that, um, you know, investors can actually see the, the implied kind of clean EBITDA margin for, for the business. Um, or, yeah, maybe any, any thoughts on that front if it's possible. Yeah, it's maybe, Jeff, maybe I'll, I'll take that, 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 Max. We are, we, it is something we are aware of, and it is something that we are looking at. Um, you know, we think the, we think the the EBIT to gross revenue metric we have is a good one. Um, you know, not the least of which is you know we we effectively take risk and and profit risk on on the gross cost of of the project, not just not just the net cost in a sense. Um, 
but however, you know, we we are looking at at the uh, at a net revenue to EBITDA number as well, and um, again, you know, would potentially come back, you know, later in the day, uh, you know, around the investor day, you know, might be the might the right time as we start to think about you know multi-year, uh, you know, financial metrics and and targets, um, how that might play into it. Right. Okay, no, because yeah, I think that would be obviously helpful because you know everybody's like talking about like 15, 16 percent, so um, yeah, different ballpark. And and one quick question on the free cash flow slide on page 15. Um, the the leases are uh, are they in the consolidated free cash flow, or we'll have to adjust for those? Um, well, you'd have to, in a sense, the kind of interest component is in is in the operating cash flow. The effectively the principal element, you know, is not. It's it's uh, it, it's a financing cash flow, and that's where we'd hold it. Right. Yeah. Okay. No. So it's 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 not adjusted that therefore for yeah. the second part. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's it for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Denise Jasmine for any closing remarks. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. If you have any more questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. Um, I wish you a good afternoon and a very nice weekend, and stay safe all. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.